Now, one of the strange things that happened to me when I first came back from Australia, if I were to tell any of my Asian friends, they would not believe me. They would find it very hard to believe that none of the people back in Singapore asked me about how my studies went. You know, there's no, hey, so how did you do for New Testament? How did you do for Greek? Nobody asked me about my studies. They weren't concerned about my grades at all. Can you believe it? But let me tell you that uh, one of the things I had to do was to complete a master's thesis. Uh, and that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And so back in uh, Australia, I would constantly be going to church and asking for prayer requests. So through the prayers of his people uh, and through Psalm 25, uh, I got through. So I just latched onto the opening words of Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Please, God, help me through this. Don't let me fail. Don't let me mess up the thesis. See, I just found such a connection with those words of trust in the Lord. It had become my own prayer. And every morning before I started on the thesis, I would uh, pray, open up this part of God's Word and just uh, spend time praying to God these words. And so it is my privilege to be sharing this part of God's Word with you. But when I began looking at this psalm more closely, I realized that I had only been scratching the surface because there is so much more here. There is a very important message for us. So before we begin looking at it, let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, please, by Your Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to Your truth here. Help us to hear Your voice and please feed us with Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now some introductory comments about the psalm first. Uh, Michael Wilcock in his commentary says, one of the best tools for grasping the significance of a Bible passage is the study of its structure. Now, when we look at this psalm carefully, we notice that it alternates between speaking to God and speaking about God. Okay? Such that um, the, there's a repetition in the first half of the psalm with the second. And there is a middle section, middle verse, that acts as a mirror. Okay? Now, I don't want to get into any more detail than that, but the significance of that is, verse 11 is like the key verse of this psalm. Okay? From the structure of how there's repeated themes and there's a, like a mirror at verse 11, it's David's way of signifying that verse 11 is a central verse. Now, another introductory comment is that this is an acrostic psalm, which means that uh, each line in the psalm begins with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it was English, first line would be A, second line would be B, all the way until Z. So this is an acrostic. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, and so there's 22 lines in this psalm. Now the use of the acrostic is meant to signify completeness. The A to Z of something. Now, David in this psalm is teaching us about prayer. So, 
in what sense is this the A to Z of prayer? Well, let me suggest that the A to Z he is talking about is in regards to our past, our present, and the future. So that in the matter of prayer, David is teaching us we can confidently offer prayers to God with regards to our past, the present, and the future. And these three things will form uh, the outline. So, the first point. Trust God in the present. Trust God in the present. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Now, at this present moment, David is facing the threat of enemies. Enemies who laugh at him, who mock him for his trust in God. Enemies who are gloating over David because the God that he trusts in is not answering his prayers. Now, I wonder if there are any of us here who, like David, have such enemies. Whether it's uh, colleagues at work or family members or friends who somehow taunt you or mock you for your belief in God. Well, David has such enemies and what he does is instructive. He prays, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The attack of his enemies do not drive him away from God. They drive him towards God. Now, many years ago, uh, someone shared with me what Hudson Taylor said, which is, when pressures or attacks come, Hudson Taylor said, don't let it get between you and the Lord, such that it pushes you apart, but let them be instead on the outside, so that it pushes you closer to Him. And David can do that. He can, he can commit his soul, he can commit his whole being, all of himself to God, because David holds onto the truth of verse 3. Verse 3. No one, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. So, None who have their hope in God will finally be ashamed. There will be vindication for the believer. At the end of the day, when the dust settles, it will be the ones who have not trusted in God who will be ashamed and will be ashamed forever. So, in the present, trust God. In prayer, lift up your whole being to Him. Trust God in the present. Now, second theme is uh, trusting God for the future. Trust God for the future, verse 4 to 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. So, what aspect of future we're talking about is David praying, as I go forward, show me your way so that I can walk in your path. Now this is the prayer that David prayed regarding the future. Let me just ask us, when was the last time you prayed such a prayer? So often our prayers are for health and safety, so often our prayers may be for loved ones, 
we ask strength for uh, each new day. There's nothing wrong with this. But we also need to pray. Teach me your path. Make me to know your truth. Teach me how to walk in your ways. The life of prayer is incomplete without asking God to guide us and lead us in His ways. Now I want to say a few words about this topic of God's guidance. The main thing to understand is that the primary way, the the main way, the primary way that God guides us is through His Word in the Bible. That's how David understood it. Verse 5, he says, Guide me in your truth. Teach me. And we find God's truth in the Bible. Ah, over there someone says, what? What about dreams and visions? Okay, good question. Good question. Now, uh, my view is that God can uh, and He does use dreams and visions. He did in the past and I believe uh, to some extent He's using it at present. But the point is, God has given us His Word, His full and complete Word to guide us. And so our confidence, where we go to first, where we go to primarily, what we rely on, must be what God says in His Word. So don't be like the woman who has the bitter grudge against her sister. And she's Christian, she's waiting, praying, God, give me a sign, give me a sign that you want me to forgive her. No, she doesn't need to wait for a sign because God says clearly in His Word again and again and again, forgive. Forgive. Okay, let me put it another way. Now, let's say you like to listen to the performance of Team B. You know, Team B, it plays at uh, various weddings and all that. So, let's say you like to listen to Team B playing, right? And so that's one of the main reasons why you come to BDPC, you look at the schedule, okay, Team A, ah, Team B, okay, then you come on this Sunday to listen to Team B play. But one day you hear, okay, Team B is having a special concert. And so you wake up, you know, and you you get here, you're one of the first people here. Even before 9.20, you're here already, waiting for Team B to play. But then, it's not Team B. It's just Calissa and Jeanette, you know. And you go, what's happening? Right, advertise Team B playing, having a special concert. But where Team B was playing was at the Esplanade. You see? Now, see, just because so often in the past, when you came here at BDPC, you could hear Team B playing, doesn't mean every single time Team B plays, it will be at BDPC. The place where God advertises where He is primarily guiding us, is His Word. And so while He may still work through dreams and visions, I believe He's doing that in uh, you know, Muslim countries, uh, and places where there's no access to the Bible, but where God says He is primarily leading and teaching us His truth, guiding us, is His Word. And so we must pray, lead me in your truth and guide me, and go to the Bible. Now, if this is a topic that you want further input on, uh, I know of no better book than uh, the one that says, uh, that's called Guidance and the Voice of God by Tony Payne and Philip Jensen. Guidance and the Voice of God. Okay, now let me move on from this. 
and I would be failing in my responsibilities if I did not point this out. <clears throat> this part of the Bible is teaching us to pray this prayer. It is therefore teaching us that God loves to hear such prayers. It means, okay, it means, get this, there is every possibility that we can, in fact, walk in His ways. Because why would God be teaching us to pray this prayer? Why would He be loving to hear this prayer if He had no intention of answering such prayers? I mean, look at the word carefully. Show me your ways, O Lord. Why would God teach us to pray that if He did not intend to do so? In fact, look at verse 5 again and see why David is confident that God does in fact answer such prayers. He says, Guide me in your truth and teach me for for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. This is the God who has saved us. This is the God who saves us so that we may know and walk in His ways. And so, of course, God is willing, able to ultimately to answer such prayers. But what I want to stress is that this is not a magic formula. That you don't just say it and then hope that things magically happen. Right? There's, there's really no point, you know, we already make the decision already in our hearts, we've already decided what we want to do and we're already heading in that direction that we are decided to go. And on the way, we just mumble this prayer, hoping that things will work out. No. We must lift up our whole soul. Our whole being must be committed to Him. So, before we even make the decision, we commit it all to Him. God, lead me, guide me. I lift up my whole being to You. Now, it doesn't mean also that every prayer will be answered perfectly. That nothing will go wrong. We will be perfectly obedient. Nothing, uh, nothing will tempt us. You know, because we do this in a fallen world and we still have within us the presence of indwelling sin. But because God is a God of our salvation, this is a prayer that will ultimately be answered. And so friends, keep praying, keep trusting. And when we do falter, when we do fall, ask for forgiveness and press on. Now the theme of forgiveness brings us to the third point. So, uh, trust God in the present, trust God about the future, and now trust God about the past. Trust God about the past. Now some of you may know that I spent six months in the Philippines on a short mission trip uh, after I graduated from uni. Now, did you know, uh, back in my time, I'm not sure now who is, but back in my time when I was there, the Catholic Archbishop of Manila is called Cardinal Sin. Yes, a most unfortunate name, but yes, that's his name, uh, Archbishop of Manila, Cardinal Sin. And the story is told of how a woman came to Cardinal Sin, saying that she had a message from God. But the Archbishop kept refusing to see her. 
but she was persistent. Right? She kept coming again and again. And so the Archbishop finally said, Okay, we have a very careful way of determining whether people who make such claims are speaking the truth or not. So he said, I confessed in private last week, okay, a sin that I had committed, and I want you to go home and ask God about it. Okay? If he tells you what that sin is, come back, tell me, and it's correct. I know that the message you have uh, is definitely from God. And so the woman goes away, and sometime later, she comes back, and she says to Cardinal Sin, Yes, uh, God has told me. And so Cardinal Sin is a bit, you know, uh, nervous. So Cardinal Sin said, uh, Did God tell you? Yes. Okay, what, what did God say? And the woman said, God says, He forgot. It is obvious the woman was familiar with verse 6 and 7. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. <coughs> Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Now, isn't it interesting that David calls on God to remember his mercy and steadfast love? I mean, it, does he think God will forget that he doesn't remember his character and the promises he's made? Does he actually think that God needs reminding? I think some of us would say that uh, if we were completely honest, we would admit that there are times, times when we face trial or failure, uh, when the going gets tough, when, when the darkness descends, we can sometimes think that the Lord has forgotten to be merciful and loving. That His promises are true for everyone else except me. And friends, there is only one way to strive against such unbelief that, that God has forgotten to be merciful, forgotten His steadfast love to me. And that is to remind ourselves again and again of how, where God has declared His steadfast love. Romans 5 verse 8, Paul says, God shows His love for us. God shows, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinclair Ferguson says, so often we lack the personal assurance of God's love because we fail to focus on that spot where He has revealed it. And that spot is the cross. That spot is the cross of Christ that stands in history as indisputable proof of God's steadfast love. It's something that has already happened. And that is God saying, this is my demonstration of my steadfast love for you. So, it is to that spot we must turn again and again and again. Anytime we are tempted to think, to, to doubt His love for us, to that spot we must go. 
there is no way whatsoever that God could ever forget His mercy and steadfast love. But what He does forget, you see what, if, what the woman understood, what this verse is saying, what He does forget is our sins. He forgets our sins. I call it divine amnesia. He forgets our sins. Because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross for us. Bearing God's wrath on our behalf. God forgets our sins and treats it as if it never happened. And so in terms of what we've done in the past, we can trust God in prayer about it. So there you have it, the A to Z of prayer. But before we end, let me try to tie the threads together. You remember that we noticed at the beginning, because of the structure of the psalm, the central verse is found in verse 11. What is verse 11 about? For the sake of your name, O Lord. For the sake of your name, O Lord. Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Verse 11 is about pardon for guilt. It's about forgiveness of sins. And the reason... The reason why, you know, David structured this verse this way, why verse 11 is the central verse, because, because before I can talk about trusting God in the present, before I can confidently rely on God to, to lead me into the future, there is a past that must be dealt with. There is the there is the issue of sins that I have committed. There is the record of my transgressions that must first be addressed. And the point is, because of his steadfast love, he remembers our sins no more. There is pardon, there is forgiveness. What is the top school in Singapore? Okay, it is secondary school. Okay, let's say, okay, don't get worked up. Let's say it's RI, okay? RI, Raffles Institution. Imagine the sign above RI. Idiots welcome. Idiots welcome. Top school in Singapore. Idiots are welcome. What's more astonishing is that the sign that is above God's righteous kingdom. Sinners welcome. Sinners are welcome because this is a God who forgives our sins and remembers them no more. And so because God has dealt with our past, we can trust Him in the present. We can trust Him to lead us into the future. Look at what verse 8 says. It is incredible, right, what it says. And I'm sure when most of us read it, we, we missed it, okay? Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in His ways. He instructs sinners. Good and upright. Full of goodness and righteous is God. And therefore, He instructs those who are saintly. Those who have never made a big a mistake in the past. No, it doesn't say that. It says, He instructs sinners. 
Friends, the great message of this psalm is that it doesn't matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter how badly you have messed up before. We can walk forward in His ways. Let me urge you. Soften your hearts. Receive what God is telling us here. Because so many of us believe because of the wrong thing that I've done in the past, whether it was a bad decision about a relationship or bad decisions made about work or you know, things that happened to us or whatever, because of, of things I've done in the past, I am now condemned to a, a second-class Christian life, a, a substandard Christian life. So many of us are thinking that even if God can forget, I cannot. And we pass through our days with a lingering sense of regret. We live with an undercurrent of failure. Friends, put down your baggage at the cross. There is, therefore now, Paul tells us, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has dealt with our past. And so there is now every possibility of going forward in His ways, of walking in His path. At the end of 2013, we look back with fond memories, but I'm sure we also look back with regret. Deep regret, maybe, at some of the things we've done. Ashamed and wish things had turned out differently. Do you hear what God is saying in Psalm 25? We can go forward with hope and confidence. Will you trust Him with your past? Will you trust Him now in the present? And will you trust Him going ahead to lead and guide you and show you His ways, make you to walk in His path? May God help us.